So today we're reading from uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told to you what you must do. And the men who travelled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and through his eyes, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And led him to, by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. And behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming to, and laying hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he rose and was baptised. He took food and was strengthened. And for seven days he was with his disciples who were at Damascus. Well, I'll just stop there at the moment. Probably not going to cover much more than that. So we met Paul earlier on in Acts, holding the cloaks of the people who were stoning Stephen. Um, Saul is quite respected. Uh, when we hear him giving his own testimony, he points out that he was, he was a Jew of Jews. There was nothing in the Jewish religion that he hadn't achieved. He was right on the pinnacle of everything you could expect from a full-blown Jew. He would, I guess you could call him super religious. So as far as the Jews were going, he had everything going for him. And so he was persecuting the way, persecuting those who believed in Jesus. So he's gone and got some letters so he can go to Damascus and carry on his work of persecution there. He only gets a little way close to Damascus and he's blinded by a vision. God confronts him on the road and says, why are you persecuting me? And that's fairly key that we need to remember when, when people persecute us for our faith, they're not actually persecuting us, they're persecuting Jesus. 
Later in Paul's testimonies, when he talks about this incident, he, he mentions that Jesus also said to him in the vision that, why are you kicking against the goad? The goad was something that prompts you. you. It was a sharp stick you stuck into the ox to make them go the way you wanted. Paul sees that something had been pushing him towards Christ, but he was reacting against it, reacting really strongly against it. That's why he was persecuting the Christians. And so Jesus is saying, why, why did you act that way when I'm trying to bring you to me? But so, yeah, so we need to... Um, we need to remember when we're persecuted that they're persecuting Jesus, not necessarily us as people. And Paul asks two questions. There's only one listed here. He says to Jesus, who are you? In Paul's testimony in Acts 22, he says there were two questions. Who are you? What do you want me to do? Those two questions are things we need to consider asking ourselves. God, who are you? Reveal yourself to me in my circumstances where I am. Reveal yourself to me so I know how to act, so I know how to respond to these people in whatever circumstances I'm at. And what do you want me to do? We need to wait on God sometimes to say, what's the best course of action here? Not what's the thing I want to do most. Sometimes what God needs us to do isn't the reaction we would want to do. As The story I've told many times about my friend who was a drug addict comes to me one day and says, I need somewhere to stay. I've got nowhere to stay. If I go and stay in this place where I know I can sleep, there's a chance that someone will knife me at night. I turned him away from my house because until he was fully aware of the consequences of his actions, of his drug addiction, he was never going to change. I didn't want to turn him away. The easy answer for me would have been to say, sure, crash on the lounge, it's fine. Um, stay as long as you want. But until he had a problem... He had nothing to solve. That was a tough, that's a tough call. Sometimes the most godly thing we can do isn't the thing we want to do by reaction. Because we're often nice people. We want to help people. But sometimes loving people requires us to take the hard step. We don't give our kids everything they want because we know it's not good for them. We need to take that attitude sometimes to the people around us. We can't give them everything they want. We can't do everything they ask us because it's not necessarily the best course. So we need to be saying to God, what do you want me to do in this circumstance? What is the godly course of action for me to take? And listen for the answer and move in that direction. Um, Ananias. Who's ever wanted a vision from God to tell them what to do? Flashing lights in the, side, in the sky saying, do this. Ananias got one of those. Makes it easier. Yeah. Go to Straight Street. Go to the house of Judas in Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus, whose name is Saul, by the way. Oh, no, I know that guy. God had a tough call on Ananias. And Ananias is actually no one special. He's just an average Christian. We don't hear about him anywhere else. We haven't been introduced to him before. He's just someone who's come to God, and God's willing to use him to bring a mighty instrument to the kingdom. Paul leads many people to Christ. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Because Ananias, who's largely no one important, came along and obeyed God. We can't necessarily know how we're going to impact people around us. Our job is to be obedient to God. Whether we get the acclaim for it or not, whether we understand that we've had an effect or not, don't know. It also... Some of the stuff that God might ask us is going to be pretty scary. Ananias says, 
You do know this is Saul who's persecuting us, don't you, God? Um, not that you've got it wrong or anything, but you're sure? And God says, I'm sure. Go. Fortunately, unlike Moses, who then come up with another excuse, Ananias goes, okay, off we go, and is obedient to God. If God gives a call to your life, are you willing to be obedient to that? Now, Paul responds to this conversion. He gets baptised straight away, and he starts arguing in the synagogue with the people he was working for initially, identifying with the Christians straight away. He's really clear what happens to people who identify with Christ because he was the instrument of that punishment. He knows what it costs to stand up. Now we find out from other sections of scripture where Paul's talking about this, that shortly after those, he disappears to Arabia for three years. He wants to reintegrate all the knowledge he has because he's got a lot of knowledge about the scripture. He wants to say, how does Christ fit into this? He doesn't go to the disciples and say, teach me. He says, I want to go to the scripture and I want to understand it from the scripture. I don't want my teaching to come from people. I want it to come from God and I'm willing to put the effort in. So for some of us who are brought up in a Christian way, sometimes we need to remember to go back to the scriptures that we understand to try and understand what God's saying. Not just believe the people who are up the front. Check what they say against the scriptures. Check our understanding against what the Bible says. Because often the people at the front get it wrong. Look at the Reformation. Martin Luther goes back to the scriptures and say, this is what the scripture says. It's not all this stuff that has come in, snuck into my religion. This is what the scripture says. I guess for those people who come to Christ who don't have a background in the scripture, you do have to rely on other people to have integrity in their teaching. But you should still be trying to say to them, well, that's, that's good advice. Where in the scripture does it come from? What piece of scripture are you using to justify that uh, suggestion that you want me to stand on my head during worship? Is there, is there a real passage or is this just something you're doing? Is this just something your group's comfortable with? We can ask those questions. No, one, no one's advice is beyond reproach. We need to vet it all against what we read in the scripture, what we understand from it. So, and this is a fairly short sermon today because um, we've got a church meeting shortly after this. But then there's a certain irony in me preaching about Paul's conversion since my own, my own coming to Christ is about as far away from this as you can possibly get. And that's not really very surprising because Acts is about the early times of the church. So everyone was turning. They, had, they were Jewish or they were Gentiles, all of them away from God. So we only see a little bit in the Bible of people who are brought up in the Christian way. So if you're brought up in the church, possibly the best person to look for as an, as an example of the way things go is Timothy, who's brought up by, I think it's Eunice, that's his mother, and Paul saying, well, you need to remember the faith you were taught. So there are still struggles for those of us who are brought up in the faith. They're just different. And our conversion may not be anywhere near as dramatic as Paul. In my life, there was no sudden turning from the way I was. I came to Christ at Oh, 12 and a half, 13 ish. I don't recall any big sins in my life at that time. So there was, no, in some ways, nothing to turn from. But it, I mean, I'm not saying that being a Christian hasn't changed the way I make decisions. But there's no point in my life when I can say, oh, well, I was going this way and I suddenly turned like that. 
And usually these sermons will put me in a funk for about a week because I doubt my own faith because it's saying, oh, well, this is all this stuff happened and God's made himself really, revealed himself on the road to me. And we hear that in sermons, uh, testimonies a lot from people who are, come from a non-Christian background. And it's, it's easy for us to doubt if we come from a church family, do I really believe? I don't have this thing happening in my life. Um, we just have to live with that doubt sometimes because really that's the way, that's the life we have. No, no, no instance of coming to Christ is better or worse than someone else. It's just different. And we need to live with that. So the first point I take from this, this passage is being religious doesn't mean you're saved. If you're brought up in a church family, it doesn't mean you're saved. If you go to church every Sunday, it doesn't actually mean you're saved. Until you turn to Jesus, that's the point you're saved. Till you say, he is my Lord. Just being good, just being a nice person isn't enough. It wasn't enough for Paul, and he's certainly a lot more religious than I ever am. Was, is, will be. Um, so being religious isn't enough. Will I, will you, continue to ask God to reveal himself to me? Or will I be comfortable that I've been a Christian for uh, a long time now? Do I, know, do, I know, do I know God enough? Do I have to keep, or do I need to keep looking for him? Do I need, keep, keep needing to try and understand who he is? I would say I do in my different circumstances. My circumstances now are very different to when I was 12, 21, 30. I have different temptations, I have different, a different world, different responsibilities. Who is God in my environment now? Who is God as I face being old? Um, and what does that mean? Am I willing to say to God, how, will you, how do you want me to serve you now? What do you want me to do? Or do I, I guess, devolve into what I think is the best thing all the time? That said, sometimes we don't get a vision like Ananias. I, the only vision I had like Ananias was say, said, go to Mount Druitt. So I went to Mount Druitt. And then I waited for my job. I'm still waiting for my job. Um, Is there a straight street in Mount Druitt? I haven't looked. Maybe I'll, I'll check. I, I'll run up Google in a minute. Um, but so what do I do? So I, do I sit there and go, oh, come on, God. Give me a go. I, well, I do. I say, God, what do you want me to do? And then rather than sit around and do nothing while I'm waiting for this sign in the sky, I say, well, let me make choices as the, to the best of my ability. What would God want me to do in this place? So I joined a local church. I continued to run youth groups there. I tried to do scripture and then ran screaming from that. In, that, that was terrible. <laughs> a horrible fate. I was a shocker. <laughs> um, I tried getting into the police boys club but they didn't want people to help even though they asked for help they didn't call me back, I don't know um, we just got to keep trying unless God gives us a very direct mission it's our job to discern as best we can how God would want us to serve in that area and that reflects on who we are what our availability can be maybe what our job is I've got a meeting tonight with someone who's trying to minister into Wilmot um, and I'm meeting with him because he wants to put up some IT infrastructure in Wilmot shop that he has control of. I don't know much about IT infrastructure but I think I know a little bit more than him so I'm going to try and help him out there. 
We have to remember that our authority is in Scripture. When we're giving advice, try and use the Scriptures to say, well, I think the Scripture, I, I justify my actions by this piece of Scripture. I serve God because of this. I'm working in this direction. It doesn't mean to say we'll always be right because we will misinterpret Scripture occasionally for our own benefit um, or we'll misunderstand it because we've already assumed we know what it says. So try and, but try and look to the authority of the scripture as we just as we make our choices in life, as we as we choose the vision that we're going to follow, as we choose our partner in life, as we choose our job, as we choose where we're going to live. Try and keep the scripture in mind. Try and keep God in mind when we're making those decisions, rather than the advice of humans, who are, if they're anything like me, are reasonably fallible. And. My last key point, which is which David stole my thunder. Thanks very much, David. No one is beyond saving. Nobody is beyond saving. Whether they're nice, whether they're horrible, whether we even think they're looking for God. Paul was not looking for God when God confronted him. God just said, no, now's the time. So don't give up on people just because they seem too hard or too far away from God. They're not, they're not. That doesn't mean to say we should pursue them but don't give up on them. And if they seem to change, take that change and move with them and walk with them. Be willing to be an Ananias to them, to spend time with them. We find in the part of the passage that I didn't read, when Paul comes back after Arabia, the Christians don't want anything to do with him because they're still scared of him. Except Barabbas who says, come with me. Barabbas takes the chance and says, I'd like you to introduce you to my good friend Paul, who's a brother in Christ. Are we willing to be that good friend in Christ to people who are strange? I mean, people who are awkward, people who are difficult? Or do we want to confine ourselves to those who we get along with? Do we want to take that risk? Because it is a risk sometimes. And I'd also like to say that whatever our conversion experience, what Paul writes in Philippians 3... Is also really key. Uh, Philippians, which one of those? Marks is that? Three verses nine to fourteen, and may be found in Him, not having righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever our conversion story is, however we came to Christ, that isn't the end of it. We have never made it. We need to keep pressing on, keep trying to be more like Christ as we go. It's not something that stops. It's occasionally it gets a bit weary and you think, oh, still got to go. But we still got to go. It's a long race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We've got to keep working at being 
like Christ. Keep working at attaining that. And no wondrous conversion story or lack of conversion story is enough by itself. We need to keep striving to be um, striving to be as Christ. And that's what I got out of that passage. I hope it's helpful. Um, I would suggest we've got about five minutes before the church meeting.